Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of God. Thank you guys for coming. Um, If you guys don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. There's some guys back there that have Bibles. They can give you one. Um, We're going to be in Genesis 2. Anyone up here need one? I'll just like throw it at you. No? Okay. All right. So we're going to be in Genesis uh, 2 here, like Christina was reading. Welcome to Covenant Grace Church. I'm one of the, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're halfway through a series that we're calling Renovate. And we're calling it Renovate because God is a God of restoration and renovation. And he is a God who is eager to restore our relationships. And so as we're here in Genesis 2, that's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, we come before you a people who need to hear from you. We don't just need to hear the thoughts and opinions of a man. We need to hear your words from your Bible, Lord, spoken to our hearts by your Spirit. 
And Lord, we are so hopeful and thankful because you've been so good to do that with us every week here. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do it again. We thank you for all these people that are here, Lord. We know that no one is here by accident. They're here because you'd have them to be here so that you could speak to them. Now we pray, Lord, that we would get out of the way so you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk specifically about marriage. And we've got some books out on the book table out there. We just bought those from Amazon. And if you want any of those books, you just pay the Amazon price and then we'll buy some more. Or you could just order them from there. But there's several different books on marriage and parenting and relationships that we think would be really helpful for you. And as we get into talking about marriage this morning, I'm well aware that for the first time in the U.S., there are more unmarried adults than married ones. So in the past and in the United States, there's always been more married adults than than unmarried ones, but that's changed. That changed about a year ago. And so I'm very aware of that. And you guys might be unmarried yourself. Many of you are. And you might be wondering, like, what's in it for me, maybe? Or, you know, how is this message going to connect to me? How are these next couple of messages going to connect? But I want to remind you guys, when, when God calls us to himself, he calls us into community. And so here we are in a community, and it's, and it's part of our responsibility, even the unmarried people around us, to help to guard and bless marriages. And you guys, whether you're, uh, you know, grandparents, uh, you know, parents of adult children, or um, you're younger, or whatever it is, you all have extended families, you all have friends, you all have coworkers that need good advice on marriage desperately. They need your encouragement for their marriages to thrive. So you might listen to this with an ear of, I'm going to apply this to my marriage now. You might listen to it with an ear of, I'm going to apply this in the future in my marriage. Or you might listen to this with an ear to, I'm going to remember this because I need to give good counsel to people, okay? It's a, a good, healthy, growing marriage and family. It's a community project, right? We help each other along the way. And so please think about it that way. You might, though, wonder, why go to Genesis 2? I mean, for those of us who are church people and we're used to this, we think, oh, yeah, of course, Genesis 2. But for somebody that's coming here that that isn't from that background, they might think, why would we go to this incredibly ancient account of the first human beings to talk about marriage? I mean, how could their relationships thousands and thousands of years ago possibly connect to a 21st century marriage, you know? Or were these people even meant to be examples? But you know what's interesting, guys, is every time Jesus was asked questions about marriage, he took him back to this passage, Jesus actually is communicating when he does that, that Genesis 2 is actually God's original design of marriage. It's actually, and, and one thing you got to remember too is, it was old when Jesus talked about it too. You guys realize that? Okay. It was thousands of years old then, and it was a totally different culture. So it doesn't work to say, well, it's a different culture than then. Jesus lived in a different culture than, than these people. If they even had a culture, they're just two people. How, what kind of culture could you have? So, um, This is God's original design for marriage. And it's so helpful, guys. We look at the media now. There's so much confusion about gender, about men and women and what God's created them for that we actually have here the designer's plans. And so it would make sense for us to dig into this and apply this to our lives. And so this morning, we're gonna look at God's design for husbands, God's design for wives, and how he's designed marriage overall and how we can live in it. And so first, let's look at how God designed husbands. Uh, so God creates, you can see in, um, in verse 7, God creates Adam in this very personal way, right? Everything else he calls into existence, but for Adam, he takes some dirt and he forms a little clay man, and then he does what? And then it says he breathed into his nostrils. He <sighs> breathed into him the breath of life, and then this clay man became a real living man. Isn't that weird? It's amazing. 
And so he springs to life, and God takes this man, which he's created very personally, and he drops him in the garden, much like you might drop a new pet hamster in a terrarium, right? (laughs) And then he continues, though, to interact with him and to interact with him as his child. What do you think Adam was thinking when he was first dropped in there? He's like three minutes old. What is he thinking? (laughs) He's thinking, what am I doing here? What am I for? What is life about, right? Those are the questions we ask. Every man answers those, asks those questions. And you know what the postmodern answer is? You know what the answer is of our culture to men, what are you here for? What are you to do? You know what our postmodern answer is? Whatever you want. Like, what am I to do? What am I for? Whatever you want. Notice two things about that answer. First, that it is not an answer, okay? <laughs> that is not an answer. When you say, what am I here for? And the postmodern answer is whatever you want. That's not an answer, And guys, if your worldview doesn't give you an answer for the question of what am I here for, you might want to shop for a new one. I'm just saying, because that's like fundamental, right? Um, Another thing to notice about that answer, whatever you want, is no one actually wants men to live that way. No one wants men to live whatever way they want. We actually have a place for men that do that. It's called prison, guys. This is not a good answer. And so what has God designed men to do? Genesis 1 says that God has designed all human beings to reflect his glory. And then this passage specifically says what men are to do. God shows Adam what men, what husbands are for. You can look at verse 15. There's two of them here, so let me read it. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat because in the day you eat it, you will die. God gave Adam two things before Eve's even created. Two responsibilities. And the two responsibilities were his word. God gives this command, you know, and it's a, and it's a generous command. It's a, it's a command that you can eat of any tree. And that chapter said that every tree that was good for food was there. You need of any tree except for one. He gives him his command. He gives him his word. And God gives him also work to do. I, I, sometimes I put it this way. God gave Adam a Bible and a shovel. Okay, God didn't give him a literal Bible, but he gave him his word, right? And he gave him work. He gave him a shovel. And this work that he was to do was good. Now we have so much difficulty with work, but this work he got was good. He was called to to lead his family spiritually. He was given God's law, and he was supposed to give it to Eve. Remember, Eve wasn't created yet. He's supposed to deliver God's command to Eve and then lead his family and protect his family spiritually through the word. Now, of course, Adam failed to do this, right? In Genesis 3, we see him just standing around while his wife's talking to a serpent. Not good leadership, okay? Talking to a serpent. And when God confronts them about their sin, he doesn't confront Eve. He says, where are you? And that you is singular, and we know who he's speaking to because Adam's the one that responded. Guys, God still holds husbands uniquely responsible for the spiritual direction and protection of their families. Um, On the final day, guys, Everyone's going to answer for their own sin, but husbands will answer for the direction of their families. Did we lead our families closer to Christ, or did we let our families drift towards the serpent? That's something that all husbands are given charge to protect their families. And God's going to ask, where are you? Um, we're going to have a men's breakfast this coming Saturday. We're going to talk, I'm going to lead a discussion on spiritual leadership. We'd love for you guys to come. It's going to be the Klein's at 7 a.m., and there'll be breakfast and stuff, and we'll talk about all this. But guys, there are many men in this church that would love to help you to grow in your ability to lead your family spiritually. Like, that's something that many men here would be very happy to do. So God gave Adam a Bible, you know, symbolically, and he gave him a shovel. God gave Adam 
work in the garden to do. Now, of course, women and wives work as well. You see in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, she's like making real estate deals and she's you know, got a business and she's shipping things all over the place. Okay, she's doing all kinds of things. Don't you just hate her? <laughs> she says so many things she does. But, um, but the primary responsibility of, of providing for the family falls on men. And this passage teaches this. There are many other passages in scripture that teach this. Now, there are some times, guys, when due to disability or due to schooling, a husband's not able to take up that responsibility, but that is our responsibility. Um, when I was going to veterinary school, the first three years, um, Tosh was working, my wife was working, and, and I was going to school, and it was like 28 units, so you can't really work when you're doing 28 units. But it was, it was a temporary time. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. A lot of you guys are finishing school. Your wives are doing the, all the work right now. And, um, but it's a hard time. Would you guys agree? It's a tempting time. There's more temptation for conflict and things like that. It's a, it's a difficult way to go. Uh, God will give you grace in that. Um, I think we want to get through that period as quickly as we can <laughs> and move on. But um, we'll talk more about work in a couple of weeks. But husbands, you were created to protect and provide for your family. You were created for a Bible and a shovel. And I think, guys, uh, for us dads, this is what we need to be thinking about for our sons, is we need to raise them to have a Bible and a shovel, right? Start off with a real little Bible, a real little shovel, and teach them the importance of work, teach them the importance of the word, preparing them to be husbands and fathers. Because a lot of guys, they end up in their 20s, and, and all of a sudden, they like a girl. It's a huge surprise to them that they would like a girl. They, they go, I'm going to get married, and they don't have the Bible and shovel yet. And so we want to prepare as much as possible, guys, to do that. And when we say a shovel, we do not mean that the guy's rich, that he work, gets a ton of money. The guy's a worker. That's the important thing. He's a worker. Unmarried men, you guys can have a role of spiritual leadership here in the church. We've got many areas where you can serve as an unmarried man. You could serve in all kinds of ways that would be leadership roles in the church. I'd also say that you have all kinds of ways to provide and protect for women and children. We think about Holly in Cambodia. We have a ministry there where Holly is rescuing girls out of sex trafficking and brings them into her discipleship home and trains them and stuff like that. That takes funding. Um, she just got a new building, and the building used to be a brothel. So she's taking this brothel, and it's been converted into a discipleship home to rescue women out of sex trafficking. That would be an awesome way for you to provide for and protect women and children. It would be to give to that. We're going to do some more. We'll probably Skype with her in a few weeks and take an offering and stuff like that. But that would be a great way for you to do that as an unmarried man. We'd love to send teams there. I want to be really involved with that. So husbands, you were made for that. Wives, look at verse 18. How are wives designed? Look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Wives, husbands were created to be your protector and provider. You were created to be his friend and helper. And I just love this. Don't you love this, that marriage is about friendship? You know, marriage is primarily about friendship. God, the Bible gives a bunch of reasons for marriage. Um, what would be some reasons for marriage in the Bible? Procreation, right? So in uh, Genesis 1, it talks about be fruitful and multiply, so to have children. Um, what else? Sanctification or your holiness. Um, Paul talks about if, if uh, a man or woman can't exercise self-control, it's better for them to marry, better than burning with passion. You know? so, um, but here in this text, this is the primary reason for marriage. The primary reason for marriage is it is not good that man would be alone. Guys, we all need friends. God um, noticed this need that Adam had even before he noticed. And God's good with it. It, it. This need for friendship, this need for companionship is not a bug in our programming. It's a feature in our design. God designed marriage to be a lifelong covenant between two friends. I love how the Song of Solomon 
talks about it in 5.16. He says, um, actually, this is the bride. She says, this is my beloved. This is my friend. Marriage is ultimately about friendship. Malachi 2.14, when, when the Lord's rebuking the people for the men for leaving their wives, he says in there that you have been faithless, though she is your companion, your wife by covenant. Your companion. The Bible makes a big deal of companionship. And so make your marriage first and foremost about friendship and other things will take care of themselves. I have this client um, in my work that she's a divorce attorney. And I was talking to her one time and I was saying, you know, I do pre-marriage counseling. What would you tell people that are going into marriage? I thought she was going to say like, don't do it, you know. But she gave me this advice. She goes, you know, what happens is, is that somewhere along the marriage that they start treating each other in ways they would never treat a friend. Not true. Start treating each other in ways you'd never treat a friend. I think because you think, well, they can't leave now. They're stuck with me or whatever. We lose that, that core desire for friendship. Um, and, you know, you can see it happen through disrespect or you start spending more and more time apart. You start using your leisure time more and more to do things separate from each other. Start giving each other the cold shoulder or silent treatment or things like that. You're not treating that person the way you would treat a friend. You think about your text messages, you know, when early on in a relationship, the text message is like playful emoji, you know, kind of compliments and stuff. And then what is it? Can you get milk? Okay. Or when are you coming? Or I'm on my way or running late. Okay. They change. Look through your text messages to your spouse and think through, are there playful emojis? Are there, are you sending the funny pictures and the funny links that you send to your friends? Do you send more to your wife? You know, she's your best friend. You think about compliments and flirtation and stuff like that. Is that in your feed? Just be a great accountability. Just scroll through right now and go, okay, ooh, you know, this is just a bunch of, can I pick something up at the store? Which, you know, you need that too, but. So ask yourself, how am I treating my husband or my wife in a way I would never treat a friend? Or how am I neglecting to do the things that I would do if my spouse was my best friend? Guys, it's not too late. You can do this. Um, focus on being best friends and everything else will take care of itself. Notice that Eve was also created to be Adam's helper. Look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Okay, guys, this implies, husbands, that we need help, okay? <laughs> that we don't do well on our own. Um, and I think you guys can agree to that. Can I get an amen for the men? Can I get an amen from the women? Amen. Okay, a little bit louder. <laughs> That's what I expected. Um, when, when Tasha and I met, um, it was not good that I'd be alone. So I had two rooms of reptiles and rats, okay? And it all started with the reptiles, you know, so you get a lot of reptiles, dozens and dozens of species of reptiles. Then you got to feed the reptiles. You get tired of buying rats, so you start breeding rats. And then you find out there's something called a show-quality rat. And so you're like, if I'm going to breed rats, I might as well breed show-quality rats, and I'll just feed the, I'll feed the poor quality ones to my animals, and then I'll sell the show quality ones to connoisseurs of rats, okay? <laughs> so then I met this lady, I don't know how I found her, is Roseanne the Rat Lady is what I called her, but her name was Roseanne, and she had a house full of rats, and I would make a pilgrimage probably every like month or so to bring all my better rats to her. She would grade them and, you know, give me money for them and stuff like that. And um, so, and she's like, oh, I'm a Christian too, and I was like, oh, that's great. And I find out later she's a witch, and a Christian, so that was weird. And I guess I should have seen that coming from a woman who had a house full of rats. But, but the cool thing was, is so Tasha comes over for the first time, and she sees these two rooms of rats and reptiles. And you know what she says? I can work with this. Isn't that the cool thing about women? Is they're like, 
okay, I can work with this. Guys tend to be more picky. It's like, well, she didn't have this, she didn't have that. Women are like, I can, I can fix this. You know, I can, I can work with this. And she has, right? She has. So you guys might not be impressed with where I'm at now, but now you're thinking, this is a vast improvement. Yeah. So wives are called to be helpers. They're called to support their husbands, to correct them when needed, to challenge them, to believe in them, to encourage them. Um, While Adam was called to cultivate the garden, Eve was called to cultivate Adam. And we can see that happening in our own lives, can't we, husbands? And notice something, too. It says that she is a helper fit for him. What's funny about God is he often brings together people with significant differences. Am I right? And a lot of times those opposites attract in the beginning. You know, you think about, like, you know, emotional, right? You know, one's real emotional, one's very little emotional. And, you know, husbands and wives, we don't necessarily fit the stereotypes in this. Like, with Tasha and I, I'm the emotional one, you know? Who are like, oh, women, they're so emotional. It's all about their emotions. They always want to talk about their emotions. Like, no, Tasha's not like that at all. We'll be driving, and I'm, like, talking about my emotions, you know? (laughs) So we're a little bit weird that way. Um, Financially, you know, maybe one of you is, like, kind of real tight with money, real tight with budgets. The other one's like, let's have a party, you know? Let's get all you can eat sushi. Maybe some of you guys socially, one's real outgoing, one's real introverted. Guys, opposites attract, but they also clash, don't they? Isn't it interesting that some of the very things that attracted you most in the beginning are causing a lot of your friction now? Guys, and I want to dispel a heresy that is very common. And the heresy is this, that if you found that one person God has for you, then marriage is going to be all pure joy and easy. Have you heard that one? And somehow God's got this, this first best person. There's like second best and third best and all these others. But there's this one best perfect soulmate that God has for me. And if I find that one, marriage is going to be easy. Guys, that's a heresy. Okay? It's a form of the prosperity gospel, isn't it? That, that God wants you to be healthy and rich and happy and successful. And if you're not doing that all the time, you're doing something wrong. Right? Um, God has given you a person that actually might be very difficult. Um, and, you know, guys, it doesn't even make sense that God would have this, like, one best person, does it? Think about it. Okay. So if there's that one best person that God's made for you and, like, your life go great if you get that one. Imagine, like, this would have been ruined thousands of years ago. Okay. So one guy picks the wrong girl. Okay, so he picks the wrong girl. He doesn't get his first best, he gets the second best. But then she got her second or third best, right? And then the one you were supposed to marry didn't end up with you, so she ends up marrying like the second or third best. I mean, you see how this all unravels? There's no way for this to be the case. Do you guys know how you can know you have married the one God willed for you? You married him, okay? Like, it's that simple. Is this the one God would have me to marry? Yes, how do I know? You married her, you married him. Okay, guys, let's remember that this person that God's given you is designed for your growth, a helper fit for you, not necessarily a helper comfy for you, okay, (laughs) or a helper that affirms you in every way you want to be affirmed, but a helper fit for you, guys. The strengths and the weaknesses balance each other out. God is using those friction points to strengthen you. I mean, think about the money example. You know, you could be so frustrated with your wife. You could be like, oh, she's so stingy, you know, and I just say to you, Like, dude, you'd be broke if it weren't for her. You know, if it weren't for her budgeting and watching your money and stuff like that. Or you might think like, oh, he's terrible with money. He's always just wasting money. It's like, well, maybe God wants to loosen you up and make you a little more fun, right? I mean, God brings these people together for a reason. You know, that person that's losing their money, probably way more giving, probably way more fun. You guys are together for a reason. You're better together. And so Adam, he doesn't know yet, though. He doesn't know he needs this helper and friend yet. Look at verse 19. It says, the Lord 
Now, uh, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he named them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. What's God doing here? He's doing a few things. One is he's sharing his rule. God created all this stuff and he goes, you know what, Adam? I'm gonna let you name them. I'm gonna let you take over. I'm gonna let you manage this. And he's also kind of playing with them. You know, he's playing with them the way a parent plays with a young child. You can see it here. It says, he brought them to the man to see what he'd call them. You know, and I could just imagine God going, okay, what would you call this? And he goes, well, I'd call it this. Goes, oh, that's hilarious. I love that. That will be its name, you know? It's that kind of a thing, right? And I don't even know what this original language was, you know, because it isn't Hebrew. It's something real ancient. It probably sounded like the Ikea language, you know? It's an or swab, you know, like something like that. But that's probably real language, huh? The Ikea? Okay. Anyway, um, so he would call him, what, what, and whatever it was, he would name him. And I just think, isn't God great? Look at how much he loves people. How much he wants to interact with people, that he would bring it to see what he's going to name it. It's just fun. Um, thirdly, he's showing Adam his need for companionship. Look, it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. You can just imagine Adam, and he's naming like, oh, flamingos. And he's like, oh, cute, there's two of them. You know, it's like, oh, let's call this a hedgehog. Oh, look how they're paired up. And then eventually he goes, oh, you know, and he starts to feel this loneliness he starts to realize that he has a need for a companion. And so the Lord, what he does next, he says, okay, Adam's ready for surgery. Let's put him under anesthesia. Look at verse 21. He says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And you think, why a rib? And I love the fourth century preacher, John Christosom. So we were talking 1,600 years ago. I love his comments on this. And before I read it, realize that Christosom means golden mouth. Okay, so it's a nickname. They called him John the Golden Mouth, okay? And this is what he said about why God used Adam's rib to create Eve. He said this, let us remember that God did not take the woman from man's feet to be trampled upon or enslaved, nor from his head that she should dominate him, but from his side to be his companion, from beneath his arm to receive his protection, and from near his heart to have his love and affection. Whoa, Golden Mouth. God created the man and the woman for a relationship of deep oneness. And you can see that in the fact that he created these two people out of one person, basically, right? So that they would come together and have a deep unity. And it's, guys, it's a reflection, actually, of the Trinity. You know, the God of the universe, the God that created all this, is a, is a community of three persons, one God. One God, three persons. And so when a marriage lives in this deep unity of two very different people, we're a picture of who God is. We're a picture of that unity, in diversity. And so in verse 22, it says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man, um, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In, in the very first wedding we ever see, this passage here, we see God himself walking the bride down the aisle to give her away to her husband. And God still does that. No matter how chaotic your coming together was, no matter how much sin was involved or insanity, it was God behind all that, sovereignly bringing you guys together, making you two one. And of course, um, you know, men need to be a little more proactive now, okay, than this. I've heard bad youth pastor messages where it's like, hey, you guys shouldn't be looking for a spouse. I mean, look at Adam. God will bring her. And I'm like, what? Because I'm thinking like, okay, so I'm going to fall asleep and God's going to deliver like a naked woman to me? Like, what is this situation, you know? 
No, you need to be more proactive. And I'd say don't miss opportunities that are right in front of you. You know, there's people at work, there's people at church, there's people that you know. And don't neglect means. This may be heretical. I mean, eHarmony would be fine, right? <laughs> you could use this situation. We got an eHarmony couple back here to represent. Um, eHarmony. I saw a website, no joke, that's called reformsingles.com. <laughs> I'm afraid of it. I would go more with the eHarmony. Let's see how that pans out first. How do we respond to God's, this marriage God's given us? I mean, this good gift. There's two ways we're going to respond. First one is to celebrate it, and secondly, to protect it. So that'll be the last part, to celebrate and protect it. Look how Adam responds when he wakes up from anesthesia. Look at this, verse 23. It says, and the man said, this at last, speaking about Eve, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. One thing to notice here, guys, is the formatting in your Bible. This is not prose. This is poetry or a song. And you can see by the way it's formatted. You see that? Just like the Psalms are. Okay, so this guy wakes up from anesthesia. He just had a rib resection surgery. And he sees Eve for the first time and drops poetry or a song on the spot. (laughs) Maybe a Barry White song or something. I don't know. This guy's got game. Okay, this is amazing. And then he says, it cracks me up that he goes, at last. You know, it's like, buddy, this has been hours, right? I mean, it says Eve and Adam were created one day. Like, this has been hours. Like, calm down. Why does Adam react this way? He reacts this way because he sees his wife as God's greatest gift to him. And I'm just thinking, guys, have you ever thought about your spouse that way? Have you ever, you ever wondered why she or he is even with you? I do this sometimes. I'll be driving in the minivan. You know, our kids are screaming in the back. I have a way of tuning it out. You know, I go to a place in my mind that I can't even hear it. And we're driving along. And sometimes I'll look over at Tasha and I'll just think, this is weird. You know, like, this is weird that she thought it was a good idea to covenant with me for life. Like, she's like, I'm going to roll with this dude the rest of my life. Thinking, like, that's odd. Now, it does help that we met when we were 15, so I kind of like hooked her in then, you know, so not as much discernment, but we did get married when we were actually thinking adults, and, and I just think like, that's so wild, and I mean, think about that with your spouse. Next time you're driving down the road, and your kids are screaming in the back, you just look over at her and think, wow, I have a wife, or I have a husband. Like, he's blown away by this unity they have. You know, he says, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's just excited. He's amazed. It's an amazing thing. And Adam rejoices in that one life they have together. Um, Adam sees his wife as God's greatest gift to him. I mean, nothing will transform your marriage, guys, like finding reasons to take joy in your spouse and then sharing them with them. Uh, Even if your spouse isn't a believer, even if your spouse is not the perfect husband, which they're not going to be, or the perfect wife, which they're not going to be, but finding reasons to take joy in them. A great book for this is the Song of Solomon. Read the Song of Solomon, and those two are always looking for reasons to rejoice in each other. Now, they're culturally bizarre, okay? So you're going to have to come up with your own, because you're not going to want to say probably to your wife, like, I would like to liken you, my darling, to a mare, which is a horse, a female horse. You're probably not going to want to do that. Uh, That's in chapter one. Or your hair is like a flock of goats descending down the hills of Gilead, okay? She's not going to get that, okay? Or in chapter two, when, when he says, your neck is like the Tower of David. Okay, like some of you are like, I've been working on that next, you know? <laughs> How about your waist is like a mound of wheat? <laughs> or your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus? <laughs> okay, like we don't get these. So you're probably going to want to study your wife, try to figure out what she likes. If she likes those, cool. They're ready made. They're ready to go. 
The point is, guys, is that, is that he, he looks for reasons to take joy in his wife he, and tells her. And I say for wives, look for reasons to take joy in your husband and tell him. There's nothing, guys, isn't it true that there's nothing like knowing that the person that knows you best delights in you? It's one thing for the people at work to be like, oh, you're a great guy, you know, whatever. But for the person that knows you best to delight in you is the best thing. And if you struggle with that, we got a book back there, Practicing Affirmation. It actually talked to you about how to do that. I think sometimes when you need help, you can read the Song of Solomon, translate it into modern language. But, um, but do that. So celebrate it. Secondly, and lastly, protect it. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're going to deal with the naked and not ashamed, the, the sex part, in a separate message in this series. I want to talk about the guarding it, though. You see in this passage, it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The old King James has leave, but then for hold fast has cleave, which is nice. So cleaving is holding fast. Leave and cleave. So important in marriage. that You would leave and cleave. In the marriage ceremony, there's a part of the giving away the bride, right? Who gives this woman to be married to this man, right? At that point is the leaving, and the cleaving occurs later. This is... Um, a brand new family being formed. Now, a lot of people are confused about this, especially Christian people. Think, well, I need, to, I need to obey my parents and things like that. This is a new family. You always honor your parents, but you don't always obey them. This is a new family. You've got to do what's right for that union. That marital union is the most important relationship you have. And that marital union is at risk anytime people don't leave and cleave. Leave and cleave, you better believe, right? <laughs> Super important. Because one of the most important things, one of the things that happens, people separate over money, they separate over sex, they separate over in-laws. I mean, these are common issues that happen. You've got to leave and cleave. And whether it's emotionally, you know, you always go back to your parents, get advice about your marriage, not a good idea. Um, whether you, uh, it's financial, whether it's physical, you've got to leave and cleave. The relationship that you two have is the only lifelong covenant one flesh relationship. And and you can't let anybody weaken that. And that doesn't just apply to in-laws. I'm going to say something fairly controversial. It also applies to your children, okay? Because some couples let their kids get in the way of their marriage. This happens a lot. They get so preoccupied with their children that they neglect each other. And just so you guys know, I'm going to tell you this right now. You have children in the house right now. They're going to leave you. <laughs> They're just going to drop you and leave you, okay? Just know that. I think, no, no, they'll never, yes, they're leaving you. They will leave you, and they won't even give a second thought. (laughs) They're going to leave you, okay? Guys, the two of you are the only ones that are going to be left together. It's your friendship, guys, that needs to stay strong. And I'm just thinking about when they do leave, are you going to be excited? Are you going to be like, okay, cool, more time with my best friend? Or is it going to be a time of trauma because the kids were your deepest relationship? Guys, there's two spikes in divorce, right? There's one around the seven, eight year, right? The seven year inch. And then there's one later when the kids move out because you feel like, why are we even together anymore? It was about the kids. As your marriage is the only lifelong one flesh relationship that you have, and it has to be your number one one. Um, you're, uh, even above your kids. Guys, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse more than you love anyone else on earth. It's the best thing you can do for him. Because sometimes we think, like, the best thing you can do is, like, love this child more than anyone else on earth. No, the best thing you can do for that child is love your spouse more than you love anyone else on earth, including them. And when you sense that breaking down, you got to be proactive, you know. Um, when conflict and distance appears, one of the things that we do is, you know, when we start to feel like we're kind of separating, we're feeling conflict, we're feeling distance, I like to just say, wait, Tosh, okay, let's back up. We're on the same team. 
and it's us against the world. That's what I tell her. I know it's a little dramatic. I'm the emotional one. But like the in-laws issue or kid issue, and we're starting to feel that separation or a financial thing. I'm just like, Tosh, we're on the same team, and it's us against the world. You know, Even if that comes to any relationship, it's us against the world. Because it's, it's me and her together in rocking chairs, all wrinkled and toothless and confused until we die. Okay? Like, have that end in view. That with your husband or with your wife, it is you two together in rocking chairs, wrinkled, toothless, and confused until death. And one of the cool things is that in, in marriage, too, is that because it's about friendship, you'll still be friends in the world to come. Tasha and I reflect on this a lot because, you know, it talks about there's no marriage in heaven and things like that. But there is friendship. And I love what Jonathan Edwards said about his wife right before he died. He said this about his wife. He said, this uncommon union, which we've long had between us, has been of such a nature and I trust is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. I just think about that. We're like, we won't be married then, but we're going to hang out. We have a bigger history than we have with anyone else. We're going to hang out. I don't know if there's houses we'll like live next to each other. Or I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll, we'll be there. Guys, this design that God has for marriage is beautiful. But we also have to add that it is not easy, right? There are particular stretches, and some of you guys are in those right now, particular stretches that are extremely hard. We've had extremely hard stretches where you start to be like, oh, I married the wrong person, and all these kind of ideas start to go through your head. But guys, if you apply yourself to this, if you will seek the Lord, he will get you through it. Where do we find the strength to get through the rough patches? We find the strength to get through the rough patches by looking at a deeper love story. It's a deeper love story than Adam and Eve, actually. Because I said that Adam and Eve are a kind of prototype, but there's a deeper prototype. There's a deeper pattern for marriage. And Paul said that this passage is ultimately about the marriage between Christ and the church. That the marriage between Christ and his people is a deeper, greater love story. It's a story about a son who left his home in heaven to seek an earthly bride. And this man was the ultimate protector and provider, right? And he finds a bride that he wants, us, the church, but that bride has issues, That bride has a past, hardly worthy to be loved by Jesus, guys. Our sin made a relationship with Jesus impossible. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't let that stop him, right? He's come to remove the barrier of our sin by dying on the cross to pay our debt. As the ultimate protector, he has given his life for ours on the cross. As the ultimate provider, he's given us heaven for free, salvation for free. And while Adam received his bride by sleeping, Jesus rescued his bride through death. While Adam was pierced into the rib, Jesus was pierced through the heart. While Adam awoke to receive his bride, Jesus arose from the the dead to receive his people. And guys, even more than Adam took joy in his wife, Jesus delights in us, his people. You know when I talked about there's nothing better than knowing that the person that knows you best delights in you most? Who knows you best? God knows you best. And in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ, he delights in you most. It says in Isaiah 62, 5, for as a young man marries a young woman, so my son shall marry you, speaking of the Lord. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Guys, if you're trusting in Jesus now, God remembers your sins no more. He delights in you even when you're failing. And though he knows you the best, he loves you the most. Guys, let's extend that to each other. Send that to your spouse. You know, that's where the power comes from, is you feel that and you go, okay, I can let up on the, you know, the fact that you forgot to pay that bill. Or I can let up on the fact that you, know, you really don't know how to clean. 
okay? Or don't know how to cook, or whatever it is. Or, you know, I can give up on the fact that, you know, I can, I can hand over these, these sins that you're doing repeatedly to me because um, I've been extended grace by God. And not only that, guys, but the same Jesus, that perfect protector and provider and friend and helper, promises to live through you. If you trust in Christ, he will live through you so that you can extend those kinds of things to others. Not just to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your friends, to people in this church. Isn't God good? Isn't God good to make marriage, but then to make something that we all can receive? Because many are not married. You know, some will never get married. Some are married and then lost their marriage for some reason. God is so good to let us all a part of the greatest love story that has ever happened, the story between Christ and the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are exceedingly good. I just think back to like the passage where you're kind of playing with Adam and asking him what he names things. And it just shows that you have a heart to relate to us, to enjoy us, to allow us to enjoy you. And Lord, we are so sorry that we have not done it back. We have walked away from you. We have sinned against you. And yet, showing your goodness again, you send your son to die for our sins. And it's just amazing how relentless you are in loving us. And we just pray that this morning, everyone that's here, as we worship, as we take communion, that we would just lay down our arms and receive you. Receive your love. Stop fighting with you. Lord, you are the perfect, the perfect one, the perfect friend, the perfect spouse, the perfect provider and protector and savior. And Lord, help us not to be so foolish as to reject you again and again and again. Open our hearts to you. How can we walk away from love like this? No matter what anyone's done to us, no matter what we've done to anyone, Lord, you right now want to engage with us and show us your love, and we just thank you for that. We receive you now in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cubgrace.org slash Menifee.